Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. A couple of weeks ago, I proposed the idea of surrounding the White House as an anti-war protest because it seemed the Trump administration was running our government like a reality TV show where every episode the tension increases, leading to a season finale where one person or team is victorious above all others. And to me, this sounded like we're going to war. I asked listeners to call in with advice and comments, and I received about 20 calls. Not so many, really. Maybe because the idea is kind of scary. Especially in this age of surveillance, it's not safe to talk about or plan a siege of the White House. Yet some brave people did call in, and these are some of their comments. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for your amazing work. Um, I, I... I think that a good way to to get up aboard for your idea to surround the White House is that there's going to be a global women's strike on March 8th. It's not a protest, it's a strike. Women are striking around the globe on March 8th. No work, no spending money, no nothing. So why not circle the White House? If you're not going to go to work and you're not going to go shopping and you're not going to do anything else to protest. Okay, that's it. Signing out. Bye-bye. Yeah, hi. I think that uh, it's a great idea. And I think that one of the groups that you should contact is the veteran group that went up to Standing Rock and helped protest um, the pipeline. I think that that's, that's the the group of people, veterans, who you need to get out there and surround the White House and show the administration that we don't want to go to any more wars in the foreseeable future and, and, and the one that we're currently in as best we can. I'm not really so into surrounding the White House, literally, but metaphorically, here's what I think. Protests, picketing, writing letters, these things only really work if the folks in power want to listen or honestly don't know how they affect others. I think the way we make folks in Washington listen to what we want them to listen to is to make them feel it in the wallet. I think we need to be striking. I think we need to be sabotaging. I think we need to be using all the union tactics that have been used since time immemorial to get the robber barons of the world to listen to the needs of the working man. And in this case, also the homosexual working man, the black working man, the working woman, and the immigrant working man and woman. They've got to feel it in the wallet. I'm calling because I, I, I just don't see how your call to surround the White House is going to make any kind of a change. I see that might be an amazing tactic for a group of people to try, but um, there are so many wonderful anti-war groups that have been around for a long time to try and make a difference. Link up with them. They've been looking at these issues collectively, democratically. That's how change is going to happen. It's not going to happen by one person saying, 
uh, I have this great idea, let's all do this, uh, help me figure out how to do this. That's just not how change happens. Uh, hi, um, I'm a I'm a 20-year-old student at the University of Michigan, and I've had this thought so many times, um, but I really had no idea either of how to happen or what the point would be. Um, but what I'm afraid more than anything is that the next episode in the reality TV show is uh, all these whining liberals surround the White House and the president does what he does best and pushes us and uh, puts us into war out of spite of us instead of real reason. Um, last week, we just had Supreme Court Justice Sona Sotomayor uh, come to campus and uh, and she told us all that... Um, you know, her job is just to talk with people who disagree with her all the time and and come to some kind of consensus, some common ground. And I think, I don't think the time for listening is over. I, I still think that we can find common ground with each other because they'll want the same things and Trump doesn't want the same things as most of us want. Hey, Scott, my name's John. Uh, I'm a huge fan, and I really uh, appreciate the work that you do and all the time that you've spent um, delivering messages from the world of things that you see are important to, to all of us. I appreciate that. I My comment about Surround the White House is I think this is not a good idea. Um, I don't think Trump is the kind of guy that's going to back down if he has a lot of people around the house. And it doesn't seem like that's it. I, I think maybe I agree that it's not the time for talking or asking questions anymore. But I, I don't know what the answer is, but I don't think this is it. <laughs> hey, Scott. Um, I support the idea, especially as a nonviolent military siege tactic, as opposed to just kind of a symbolic act. I think uh, Occupy Wall Street, which I consider a great success, I think that was still largely symbolic, and I think that was because a few thousand people aren't able to occupy uh, Wall Street and prevent it from functioning, whereas I think 100,000 people would have. And and likewise, with the White House, I think if you, if you for it to really be effective, you would need 100,000 to a million people surrounding it, which would then make it impossible for it's a function at all and would absolutely like actually disrupt political society and bring it to a halt. And I think that that's a doable number, even though it's big. I think that's how many people go see a football game every Sunday at, at giant stadium. So, um, I love the idea. Keep doing the, keep doing the show. I'm a big fan. Thanks Scott. Um, I'm not really a community organizer either, and I don't know how to go about, um, surrounding the white house or, how exactly that would work, but I have been thinking about this idea of surrounding disasters like a Trump presidency and, and to try to contain them and to minimize the damage as much as possible. Um, do you remember seven years ago when the uh, BP oil rig blew and spilled over 200 pounds of oil in the Gulf of Mexico? So tons of dolphins washed up dead on the Gulf, Gulf Coast, and, and these are places that will never be the same. But something else I remember from all the news on this was how they went about some of the cleanup work. Uh, they used hair. They used human hair and animal hair, uh, barber shops and prisons, pet groomers and wool cutters. There were people from all over the world sending their hair to help clean up the mess. And they would pack and bundle it into these big, long booms and float it out there 
to soak up the oil. And I guess that's how it works. Um, and I'm just thinking, what if we all were to shave our heads in a kind of collective act of mourning, and then we send the hair in to contain the damage? We'd have to decide where to send it, whether to the White House or the EPA or to the Department of State. I, I think I'd call this plan a kind of direct action and creative protest, uh, maybe for people who can't just hit the road or jump on a plane to Washington. Uh, hi, Scott Carrier. Uh, I called this line after I heard the first podcast episode uh, a while ago, and I basically said something along the lines of, uh, this protest, we shouldn't do it because uh, it'll just instigate Trump to go into war. But um, that was that was dumb. I mean, what, what was I saying? That, that not protesting would be a better idea than than protesting. Uh, that just staying silent would be better. Um, I really don't know what I was thinking. Um, I'm a student at the University of Michigan, just to clarify if that helps. Thanks, and I really hope that this works. Thanks for fighting the power. Bye. I'd like to thank everyone who called in. Listening to your comments was a humbling experience for me. It felt like I knew everybody, that I'd met them somewhere before, distant friends, and I didn't expect that. I think I have a really good audience, the best. I did check into obtaining a permit for a protest that encircles the White House, thinking it would be better if it was legal. And it turns out it's complicated by the fact that three different agencies have jurisdiction over the areas around the building. The Secret Service, D.C. Police, and the National Park Service and there's disagreement over who controls what. The Secret Service told me to call the police. The police told me to call the Park Service. And the Park Service told me to call the Secret Service. The National Park Service does give out permits to protest on the sidewalk on the north side of the White House, the part running along Pennsylvania Avenue. But it only gives out permits for this section. The rest of the sidewalk is off limits for protesting. So the answer is no. It's most likely not possible to get a permit to lay siege to the White House. If it happens, it'll have to be spontaneous, unplanned, perhaps a spillover from another protest on the mall or somewhere else in the city. But then there could be police brutalities, people getting tear gassed, arrested, hit with felony rioting charges. So I'm not going to promote this idea anymore as anything other than an idea, a concept, a thought problem. How do you surround something metaphysically? The old shamans believe that if you call something by its proper name, then you have power over it, because then you know its true nature. Last week, I watched Donald Trump's press conference from beginning to end, spellbound, wondering, who is this guy? Who is he really? I thought it was an amazing performance as Trump spun fantasies and bitch-slapped the press. You are bad. You are fake. Nobody believes you anymore. Quiet, quiet, quiet. And they were. They were quiet. Somebody should have shouted out, No, Donald Trump, it is you who are fake, and soon nobody will believe you. Because this 
is what Donald Trump is afraid of. When he criticizes the news media, he's projecting his own fears, that he's a fraud and doomed to fail. This is what keeps him up at night, pacing the White House in his bathrobe. He's haunted by the ghost of the downward spiral. We've been seeing Donald Trump as a villain, but he's more a tragic hero, an imperfect but talented leader who's taken down by a tragic flaw, by fate. It's in the cards, right there in the opening scene. Donald Trump rose to power, blending truth and fiction like a jazz musician, improvising, making it real in the moment, either follow or be left behind. But there will come a point soon where Trump will no longer know if he's lying or telling the truth, when he's unable to separate fact from fiction, the real from the fake, and at this point, Donald Trump will have entered the twilight zone. So sad. His ratings will drop. His show will be canceled. Donald Trump will lose everything that matters to him. Nobody comes back from the twilight zone unless there's a war, a plot twist, where Trump could come back as the leader who unites the country against the common enemy. I think we need to snuff out this war scenario like a short cigar by calling Trump by his proper name, tragic hero, Citizen Kane. It takes his power by metaphysical siege. We take control of the narrative. Right after I watched the press conference, I was looking at my Facebook feed and noticed somebody had posted a link to Bonnie Raitt singing a Bob Dylan song on the David Letterman show back in the year 2000. When I heard it, I thought, we're going to be okay. Because at the end of the day, Bonnie Raitt and Bob Dylan and even David Letterman are bigger and better than Donald Trump will ever be. Thanks for listening.
just stepping stones behind something calls to you forget the dead you've left they will not follow you Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back.